You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello and welcome back to the show. This is your host, David Scales. I know you're used to hearing me say welcome back to Surf Splendor, but we're mid-transition. If you've listened to recent episodes, you know we're kind of at a point where um, the show has grown and a number of different formats have emerged over the four years of producing this show. So we're taking the time to delineate those different show formats rebrand and give them each their own identity and um, so Surf Splendor will kind of become the network name and there'll be four shows that exist under that network today's show the title for this style of format is called Wax On and you've heard lots of this style of episode before they're basically the long form interviews with different surf luminaries today's episode of Wax On is with Keith Malloy so um, Wax On will have about a once-monthly production schedule. I know, I think it was two weeks ago you heard Caught Inside with Chris Cote, and then last week was Spit with Scott Bass. Um, and then this week, of course, Wax On. And then the fourth show will actually be Shaping Surfing, and that'll be long-form interviews with surfboard shapers. And you've heard, of course, plenty of those episodes in the past as well with the likes of Eric Arakawa, Wayne Rich, um, Tom Parrish, Roger Hines, and lots of others. So you can look forward to um, all of those shows that you know and love, just kind of, again, delineated with their own brand identity and more frequent scheduling, actually, more frequent and consistent scheduling. So predictable, more content for everybody. So look forward to that. But today's episode of Wax On is with Keith Malloy. Keith Malloy has just kind of been a mainstay in my surf experience since I was very, very young. Uh, he's one of the three Malloy brothers. We had his younger brother, Keith, or uh, I'm sorry, Dan, on this show about two years ago. And I would love to get Chris on this show as well in the future. So I'll try to make that happen. But Keith is the subject of today's interview. Keith Malloy qualified for the world tour when he was 26 years old. Um, He's, his career has been really diverse, actually, and it's great that he can list professional kind of high-performance surfing on that. And uh, during that time, he had um, seven cover shots between Surfer Mag and Surfing Magazine. But really, I think he's almost better known for his free surfing exploits nowadays, um, big wave surfing. And then he's also gotten into film directing. So Come Hell or High Water was his film about body surfing, again, two or three years ago, maybe as long as five years ago. And then now he's just released a new film called Fish People, which is um, really fantastic. And actually, if Come or Hell if come hell or high water was documenting his transition from high performance shortboard to ride anything to then ride nothing with body surfing this latest documentary explores the life of 
six ocean goers and not necessarily writing anything at all. Like one is um, a free diver, one is a photographer, one is a life coach, and it's exploring how the sea has just transformed their lives with or without an actual surfboard. So um, Keith, one other kind of a couple of other elements that Keith has in his resume is that he's a really accomplished paddleboard racer as well. He finished second in the Molokai to Oahu paddleboard race, and he actually finished, he was a finalist at the Pipeline Body Surf Contest. So quite a diverse career for Keith Malloy. And he and I dive actually pretty deep into filmmaking in this episode, and that's mostly what this conversation is focused on. We recorded this conversation in Gary Larson's Shaping Bay at Hobie Surfboards, so I owe a big debt of gratitude to the head shaper of Hobie Surfboards, Gary Larson. Thank you very much for allowing us to record. Also a debt of gratitude to Josh Martin for helping facilitate that as a meeting place for us to record at. Keith and I just needed a quiet place, and you can hear a bit of, um, I don't know, ambient noise in the background. All of that is a party being set up. We were screening Keith Malloy's film at Hobie Surfboards in Dana Point. Um, so there's, you can hear a bit of that in the background. And then the audio in this is a little echoey because we're in the shaping bay, which just, it's a small room that has hard walls. You get a bit of uh, echo in the audio. So I apologize for that. And then there's people kind of entering the door accidentally a couple of times. You can hear the door squeaking. Never mind any of that. And then the interview kind of ends abruptly because they actually started the screening of the film. So Keith and I had to kind of uh, end the interview. But nevertheless, great stuff for the duration of the interview. Really appreciate Keith Malloy. Really great to connect with him. Somebody who, um, again, has been such a big part of my life over the years and through my entire surf career. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Keith Malloy. You can chime in with your thoughts on surfsplendorpodcast.com in the comments section, or of course on Instagram at surfsplendor. And then drop Keith a note there as well and just let him know what you think about the interview and then about his film Fish People. All right, I hope that you enjoy this. My name is, of course, David Scales for Wax On on the Surf Splendor Network, pitching to my conversation with Keith Malloy, and I'll be back at the end of the episode to sign us off. Thanks again. The name of the film is Fish People, and basically, I think it's rooted in, in the fact that I've had such an amazing experience in the ocean, um, and it's affected my life so in such a positive way um, that I wanted to make a film that had to do with that, and not, not about me, though, about other people that have had similar experiences in the ocean, and people that the ocean has actually shaped their lives. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of, you know, I think that's kind of the beginning of the film was thinking about those things and thinking about my experience and then kind of finding the right people to show that whole experience through their eyes, you know, because the film is absolutely about six characters, not myself at all, but people that I knew were shaped by the ocean in a really positive way it's um 
kind of a nebulous uh, or a big also undertaking. Yeah. Like to even develop a storyline through that is kind of a big undertaking. Yeah. Who are the um, Who are the people? The six people that you profile in the film. So the six people are um, Kimmy Warner, Spearfisher Woman, Matidrelay. He's one of the youngsters getting the really big waves at Chopu these days. I just remember that one wave that he got last year, was it, or something? It was like it was two like years two ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Okay, I never knew how to pronounce his name. I yeah. thought it was Matahi. Well, there's Matahai or okay. Matahi. Okay. So there's a couple different pronunciations. And even when I was in Tahiti, I was like feeling like it was going back and forth. Yeah. So I think I say it differently every time as well. But yeah, so Matai is one of our characters in the movie and we actually talk about that wave oh, in okay, particular cool. so it's pretty neat um and then we have a woman named lynn cox okay and she's a long distance ocean swimmer and she has this like amazing history of all these swims she's done in her lifetime um she's i'm not gonna guess on her age but um basically we kind of go through the history of her long distance swimming in her life okay and um and to me she's one of the neatest stories in the film really um just because you know she's doing this activity in the ocean um and we can relate to it but it's different than surfing and it's different than spearfishing and for me it's the one that's the most unique in ways hmm. um so anyways she's in the film and then ray collins who's a water photographer from australia Started out sh shooting surf photos, but now really just shoots the ocean. Mm. Like he kind of realized what he was really after was shooting these photos of waves and, and horizons and white water. And yeah. I was just really, water movement is yeah. really what I've seen from him. It's just like yeah. it is a wave, but it's a way that the water's moving in a way that I hadn't even really seen before. Right. And really interesting perspectives. Yes. So, um, his stuff's just beautiful, and um, we we're lucky to actually end up in Australia. We had, you know, five days to shoot with him, and we ended up there on one of the biggest swells of the year, oh, wow. and got some just incredible stuff with Ray. And then we go from there to San Francisco with Eddie Donlin. Eddie takes inner city kids surfing, oh. um, along with his his uh, partner um, Tim Timmy G. So they're both in the film. Um, and that's just a beautiful story. I mean, um, I'll let you guys watch it and see it, but one of my favorite parts of the film as well. Very and then we finish with Dave Rostovich. And Dave, Dave's, you know, I know a lot of people have done stories on him, but um, I think we got some pretty unique stuff with Dave. And to me, he's, you know, he just runs the gamut. He, he rides waves in so many different ways. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good insight to... I know I think what makes him tick and why he's so involved with the ocean well even if other people have told parts of his story before I never get tired of watching him surf and hearing him chat about those things right you know? yeah so, I think I felt like he put it this way he's at the end of the movie because I think one of his pieces maybe the strongest you oh, know okay. I, yeah. I really loved it I, and I know Dave and I've known him for a long time and I was a little worried because he's very well known and does lots sure. of interviews, but I think we got a pretty unique um, uh, interview with him, and it was pretty special. Awesome. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're the director of the film. I'm curious, what does that exactly mean? Like, what is your role? Are you operating the camera? Were you 
original concept? What is your role in the film? Right. So my role in the film was, I guess, original concept of the whole idea. Um, but then what I do is go out and look, hire, most of them are my friends, but these amazing cinematographers to make this film come to life. And in the past, I have shot a little myself, um, but I really only used to shoot 16 mil, and I'm kind of consider myself a caveman, and I'm not that good with the technology and the red cameras. Yeah. So I hire my buddies like Scott Sowens, yep. Andrew Schoenberger, and there's a long list. I don't want to leave anybody out of people that contributed. Um, so, so I guess I came, you know, come up with the concept, and then and then work with all these amazing people to kind of make that vision come to life. You know, and. Mm -hmm. And you know, most of the characters in the film are people I actually have relationships with. A couple of them I didn't. Um, but it's as a director, you're kind of wrangling this whole crew together um, to try to come up with something good in the end. You know? Yeah. And, and it's it's interesting. I didn't ever. I'm not the type to be that person usually, but um, through filmmaking, I've ended up being um, being that person kind of in charge I guess and uh, yeah. and it's it can be stressful and it can be filmmaking is definitely I mean god we went to like amazing destinations and but it's also stressful and of course. at the end of, when it's all said and done you're like whoo thank god I got through I got through another one you know well it's hard I mean I can only relate in terms of doing this podcast and interviewing people but it's yeah. hard to um live in the moment and engage with a human and like try to catch the authentic moments yes. while you're also ticking the boxes on your yes. questionnaire, you know? Exactly. And along those lines, I'm going to actually apologize for looking at my notes while we're talking. No about, problem. Um, but in documentaries specifically, I'm always curious about how much of that outline or the story is in place prior to filming. Yeah. And especially in regard to the interviews that you're doing. Um, if you're, making a documentary about a historical event it's pretty easy just to follow the storyline and ask you know which questions are going to ask you know how the story begins and ends yeah but with this um i'm curious how much of it comes together in post-production when the storylines kind of start to emerge and then if it does come together there do you go back into a second round of interviews to kind of ask the more specific questions and get the sound bites right you know, that you want so those are great questions uh you know uh, definitely, I basically wrote, had a notebook just full of questions that I wanted to ask all these people. Um, and I didn't have like, you know, it is, it is like, it is a look into these different individuals' life. You know, it's like profile pieces. Um, and so I, I mean, I had all these questions and thoughts and everything that I wanted to ask these people. Um, but I basically had one shot at it, okay. you know, and, um. And then it was kind of like a shotgun blast of all this information I wanted to get from these people. And then that in the editing room, that's when we like fine tune each person's story and really figure out, you know, you take, you take like a two hour interview and you shape it into like eight minutes, you right. know? And, and so, so a lot of what I did with this film was shaped in the in, in in the editing bay, but I I had this group of questions that was pretty similar that I asked all six different subjects. In the okay. Film. Yeah. Um, how long was total production time? 
So I think we pulled it off in about a year. Okay. Um, so and and I think we got the all the filming done in about six months, and then the editing was about six months. And then previous to that, you know, I'd been thinking about it and had actually had a whole different version of a new film that was similar but not quite the same. You know, a few years ago, and then you know it kind of weaved its way into fish people and the film that we shot in okay. the last year and a half. What did you shoot it on? So it was all shot on the red. Okay. Um, yeah, all of it. Actually, I take that back. So some of the deep water dives with Kimmy were shot on like some Sonys and some other cameras, smaller cameras with, with a housings that could really take the depth. Mm-hmm. But the, like I would say 90, 90% plus was shot on a red camera. Got it. Yes. Um, when somebody asks you what you do for a living at this mm-hmm. point, what do you tell them? You know, at this point, it's pretty much working for Patagonia, making films for Patagonia, and an ambassador for them as well. And then I also do some little film projects on the side, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it. You know, we, we still do some occasional, occasional surf trips for Patagonia, mm-hmm. but we do a lot of the films film stuff for them as well, which is been great good i have actually questions about your relationship with patagonia that i'll get into in a couple minutes um i'm curious though just to keep it on filmmaking before we get there yeah is like i'm curious about what your perspective is on the role of filmmaking in surf today because it's changed so much over the years yes and when i was growing up i'd save 30 bucks and i'd go buy taylor Steele's latest thing and um the the line of the business was really easy to track. You're like, all right, Taylor Steele goes and spends a year on the road investing time and money. And then at the end of the year, he has this that's $30 per unit and he has to sell X number of units. You as the surfer have sponsors who are sending you knowing that you're gonna get exposure when that film comes out. So it's real easy to understand where the money came from, where it was going. Yeah, I'm curious now, like the money in and out doesn't seem as linear nowadays, you right. know. And like, yeah, how does it work, and what is, what does it look like for you, and yeah. what is Patagonia's expectation, yeah. and all that. So, I mean, geez, I have to say that I'm a little out of the loop on all that. Okay, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the part of the reason for me is this film is more of a documentary than anything. You know, there's some awesome body surfing and great waves and. You know, there's some there's some action in the film, but it's definitely more of a documentary. And um, you know, I kind of I, I couldn't imagine trying to follow one of the best surfers around the world and get their best waves and their best maneuver. I mean, um, God bless the guys that do that. But talk about you know a year or two commitment of just being on the road, which which is. I mean, I got to do that as a surfer, so right. I got to experience that for quite a while, um, but couldn't imagine trying to like chase it down these days. And um, for me, it was exciting to work on a film that was more of a documentary um, and kind of tell that story I was talking about earlier, where it's it's about people's connection with the ocean and how positive that can be on someone's life. and. And um, you know, we actually use archival footage in this film because oh. we weren't at every location, you know. But yeah. we also got beautiful stuff wherever we went. And like I said, 
we timed some swells perfectly, but um, we're also telling someone's story as a whole, and um, so so we have archival footage as well. Um, and um, and yeah, I, I don't com completely keep up with um, social media these days. Um, I do a little bit, but like yeah. I'm I'm like I look to the kids for that, and uh, and even like I said, shooting the red cameras and things like that. I'm like. I, I leave it to the, the guys that really specialize in that. Well, I um, I guess what I'm asking in terms of the business side of it is I went and saw Emmett Malloy did uh, Big Easy Express a few years right. ago, five to ten years ago, yes. right? Yes. And uh, I went and saw a screening for that in L.A., like a premiere of it, and I yeah. loved it. Uh-huh. And then I was looking the other day. It's available on YouTube for free now. Wow, you know? that's crazy. And, yeah, uh -huh. and it's like, and I'm just going, wow, dude, you spent a bunch of time and energy making that thing, and now it's out there for free. And right. Who's benefiting from that, and who even put it on YouTube, that's and is there then legal action? Like, I don't yeah. understand. I just don't understand anymore how the yeah. the business of it works. No, you it's know? crazy. I mean, um, the film I did about five years ago was a body surf film, and uh, it was on like YouTube or something similar in Brazil, which has a pretty big culture of body surfing. And it was like someone else's totally set it up. Like I had nothing to do with that. And yeah. Somebody was just like cashing in on it down there. But I mean, that's a little different than what you're talking about. But yeah, I don't know where some of these films have lives anymore, you know? Um, and part of it, yeah, it just depends, you know? Um, like. I mean, I'm working with Patagonia, so 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 it's neat because the film you would never know it was had was you know basically paid for by Patagonia. I think it's like a standalone film, but um, but I was able to get the funding through Patagonia, so that was like a super great opportunity for me, and thankful that they got behind it. Yeah. But then it's like up to them now if they want to put it out there. Um, and get as many eyes on it as they can. That's and probably what's going to happen, you know. In their scenario, might as well live on YouTube because that's all they care about. Exactly. Is exactly. But right. For somebody like Emmett, I was like, I felt yeah. bad for him, you know. Right. Um, I don't know the details on that, but that was a really cool film, and I'm. Um, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised. It's just for free these days, but I don't know. I don't um, know where things. Are. I'm the wrong guy to ask when it comes to like the future and film and sure the internet. I don't know. I'm curious um, how much involvement Patagonia has with the product because with the process and the product uh -huh. because if you look at their canon of films, um, 180 degrees south, which obviously your brother did, yeah, um, Uncharted Waters, the Gwen Lynch documentary piece, yes, there's different directors in each of the Patagonia films, right? But they all certainly fit the company's ethos, but also an aesthetic, and then even more so they're all very character driven they're all right. story driven right so they all even though these films are all made by a bunch of different people they all fit this same kind of mold uh -huh. that you, you might think they were made by the same director gotcha so i'm curious is there any oversight are they asking for a certain thing or do you have complete creative license or? i would say that that i for for this film fish people i definitely I mean, they had to green light it, so they had to like the idea, but there was like very little influence on the film once they liked the idea, you know? Interesting. Like, and, and my brothers and I have been doing films for them for quite a while, so I do feel like we've built some trust there. Um, but 
they yeah they they had to be like yes we like the idea of this film and let's do this but otherwise i really was able to make the film i wanted to make and like honestly there was no was it, I, I'm, I'm happy about this film because I feel like it is exactly what I wanted to make. Whether it's good or not, I'm like, this is what I set out to do. So I feel good about it. And honestly, bravo to Patagonia for stepping back because the best art comes from individuals with a concept that they're executing. It never comes by committee. Right. You know what I mean? No doubt. As soon as they get involved and start telling yes. you what to do, it's like you, they don't, they're not happy. You're not happy. It could be a recipe for disaster. Totally. For sure. It always is. Yeah. So, um, are you a fan of film in general or documentaries in general? Or I mean, I am. I yeah. am. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm like. I have two little kids at the moment, a five and a two year old, and. And like I'm not the guy that gets to watch films all day every day. Yeah. But I I, I love film and um, and you know I, even before we were we were working on films we were part of films like Taylor Steele's films sure. and and other films so I think that's where we got a little early education on how the whole process works. Um, and um, but yeah I do love film. Um, Who do you admire or look up to as you know, a director? Do you have any? I, I wouldn't even be able to throw out one in particular person. Um, Any films in particular that you've liked or been inspired by? Maybe even just liked. Like, what in recent years have you really done? <laughs> um, gosh. I mean, it's so strange these days because I probably watch more short pieces online than I do watch full-length films. Um, and... Jeez, I mean, there's so, that's a thing to me. It's like an overwhelming amount of incredible filmmakers out there. And I'm like, these days there's like 20 year old kids putting together these films in their bedrooms, like, you know, by themselves. So I don't have like, I don't know. I, and, and like the big time directors and filmmakers, like I don't even like, I feel like they're on such a def different level that I don't like study their work. I sure. can't really say that, you know. Um, but I am a, I I love film, and I've been heavily influenced by my brother Chris. He started making films, you know, um, and Dan and I kind of followed his has followed his lead a little bit. So if anybody, I think I probably look up to his films the most, and they probably are very similar in ways. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. 
linkedinjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I, I love Chris's work. Like, I've been really impressed by it from, I mean, what what was thicker than water so thicker than water was the first one that was really right in the middle of that of the high action loud music era of surf films right and then chris chris made a 16 millimeter film yeah sorry no it's cool um and so that was kind of directed right with jack johnson well jack was a cinematographer so chris Chris directed it jack shot it on 16 so yeah that was like different time um and um, so that was like, that was that was a definitely, a, you know, Chris came up with that idea to do that film back at a time when it was all video and high performance, and so that was that was what sparked this whole thing, I would say. But his he came out with a bang, like it's a seminal film that I feel like paved the way for a different genre, right? And even Taylor Steele, like. Was Shelter after Thicker Than Water? Maybe Shelter was after. Yeah, so even that and you could Chris see. And Shel- I think Chris and Taylor worked on Shelter together. Okay, that yeah. makes sense then. Because yeah. I was going to say you could see even Chris influencing Taylor in that. You right. know, where it's like Taylor's yeah. style of filmmaking yeah. went from the surf porn style right. yes. into more kind of character driven and also like a much more focus on cultural richness yeah. too like yeah in those in good times in those films like you guys are going all around the world but i don't <laughs> see much of it you wouldn't see any of it and then in shelter it's like you're hanging out at a house in australia somewhere for right. like a long period of time and you're getting yeah. a lot of that so and then you go all the way to like sipping jet streams where it's yeah. really about the culture exactly like a really really beautiful movie so yeah, yeah. um I think that, you know, there's still a time and place for both. There's moments when we want to go on and just see, like, the latest thing John John's pulling off. But then but then there's also opportunities to tell, you know, stories. Well, and I totally agree, but I think those things are different in that the best plat They're different in the platform that they're used on. So, like, the best platform for us to see John John is on Instagram. Right. And, like, he did a backflip yesterday, and I get to see it today. Wow. But the storytelling that you're talking about requires more time and attention yeah more production value yeah a lot more time to actually view and so that exists better i would argue on a big screen gotcha you know i know i hear you i definitely agree yeah so um but i'm a a huge fan of this style and i'm like grateful to see it right on um what's farm league and are you involved in farm league so farm league is my brother chris's production company and i've worked with them and friends with all of them as well got it yeah okay. yeah and then i have my own little i just started a little production company up in santa barbara called by marion and um called by marion by marion yeah and um but 
you know, we all work together. We're all friends. I've worked for Farmley. They're great guys. And yes, and, and Chris started that with a couple partners. And uh, when you say you've worked with Farm League as a director? Or yeah, I've directed some small things, you know. Got it. And I think Farm League has been able to do some, you know, great short pieces. And, and then also there's been opportunities to, you know, I think for my brother to, to do a little more commercial work, you know, here and there. But I mean, it's funny because he's, he's done some of that and he, he's, he really likes going back to just working on passion projects. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, when you've been involved in doing small pieces like that, I'm sure you're presented with a lot of opportunities. How do you pick and choose what you're involved in? Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, one of the ones I did for Farmling was on Israel Paskowitz and his whole surf camp. And, you know, it was like some outside endorser that basically funded that. So, so more often than not, it's been something root surf related, you know, I would say. Okay. Uh huh. But then like, you know, we've been branching off and working on some music pieces and things like that as well, which is really fun too. Something that I'm definitely into. Yeah. Um, I had that in my notes and I don't really have a question, I don't think, but yeah. like I just wanted to comment on music yeah. and the usage in the films that you've been involved in over the years because mm -hmm. I feel like it's been a springboard for some really big bands. Like you mentioned Jack Johnson, obviously right. he's the biggest example of anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the first time I heard the Shins new slang I think was in Shelter and that right. was years before yes. they no, I know. Hit it. I don't know how Chris came across that music and got to use that song but it was like pretty amazing um, yeah the, I don't ben even know the Harper, whole, like there's ben all Harper, sorts yeah. of guys that you right. guys have worked with so yes. tell me about the role of music and how you use it in Fish People and yeah okay well so in the past you know I guess it was a really funny example way back in the day was we made a, a surf film um, and, and we put G Love in it and it was like he was the whole soundtrack. And oh, it was dude! So I classic. Remember the film? We didn't even ask him. We just used it. And then like he called us six months later and was like, "Can I get some free traction pads?" No it was, way! It was, it was OAM. M &M. Yes. Yes. It was all in Western Oz, right? Yes. That... It was all in Australia. Australia. I yeah. Love seven that days in film. Australia. Yeah. So, what was it called? Um. Wasn't it called Seven or? Maybe it was called. There was a film called Seven for sure. Wait a minute. I'm like eight. Eight. That's eight, it. That's eight. Because <laughs> we did one called All for One, and then there was yeah. another surf film called Seven, and this one was called Eight. That's right. And I was, loved that film. Yeah, it was fun. And and back in those days, we literally like found an album we liked and just put it to the movie. And um, and luckily in that case, it was all G Love music, and he just called us and asked us asked if we, he could have some free traction pads and leashes and we said yes and then became friends with him through that. You know, best, so Best deal ever, by the way. Best yeah. trade on your guys' part. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I think my brothers and I all appreciate good music and, um, and have tried to bring in the best music we could to things we were working on and the whole Jack Johnson thing was crazy because... He was getting paid like a hundred bucks a week to shoot 16 mil during Thicker Than Water. Um, and we all like, every night he'd be playing guitar and we're like, you know, you're so incredible. You're, dude, you're going to blow up. You know, like you say to all your friends that play yeah. and sing well. But obviously this, for some, you know, 
for obvious reasons, it uh, was a, he became a huge deal and still a good friend. And still, and I, I talk about being talented. Like Jack shot that whole film, and cinematography was part of the reason why it was so good. I mean, yeah. he did such a great job. So that film still stand holds up today. Yeah, it does. You know, um, so. Um, and then, okay, so the new film, Fish People, yeah. this one is all scored. Like, there's oh, wow. n- there's one song at the end that uh, Todd Hannigan and uh, Todd Hannigan, so Todd Hannigan is, is um, he has Brethren Studio up by us in Ojai, and he basically was in charge of the whole score of, of this film. And I, I'm, like, so excited about it because it's there's a lot of classical instruments in there, you know, violin, piano and upright bass and all these things so it's kind of a little bit of a new chapter music wise for myself as far as doing a score and not like picking these kind of cool songs that we hear out there and like having that song in the film this all this music for fish people was created for the film and i was nervous about that but i'm so happy with it i feel like it's so it goes so well with these underwater images and things like that amazing i I'm excited to know that, yeah. and I'm excited to see that because uh, I'm actually a fan of his work too, just from through yeah. surf films. I right. know him, uh-huh. um, and I love the idea of the score. I think that's a yeah big step. I can't, I, I can't think of any other surf-related film or documentary that was scored. Really. I'm not sure either, but I was definitely kind of not knowing if it would work or not, and um, and then I. Todd and I talked kind of about the concept for the music for the film, and he sent us about 30 tracks, and we used everyone. Like, it was the one instance where we, like, had the music made when it was come time to edit, and Todd Hannigan and another guy, Fernie Apodaca, and kind of a list of other really great classical-style musicians were involved, you know. And what was your process learning, um, directing and editing and all that? How did I mean? Obviously, you said you got involved through Taylor Steele, kind of, and being involved in those films. But yeah, and and other photographers and other filmmakers, you know, like, um, yeah, we just kind of, I guess, we just took notice to what was going on and how it all worked. Um, and I think that's why it became, it became once we were on the other side of things, we had a good clue on how it worked, especially when we're working on surf films, you know. And then and then it's just. I think it's just, I think that we've all, as we've gotten older, been more interested in the stories than just the surfing, I guess. Sure. Um, In regard to music, you won't remember this, but we crossed paths one time at the Hollywood Bowl. It was a Jack Johnson and uh, Ben Harper Harper concert concert there. And I think it was right after the US Open one year Uh because like everybody was in town. Gotcha. But I was like, it was a backstage situation, oh, I like, and I saw Kelly. Yeah, I was like, "Oh my God, Kelly!" I remember Slater. that. I remember that yeah. show. You know? Do you? Yeah. Um, and then like I got a photo with Kelly, and like Rob was there. Yeah. And then you were there, and um, it, I might have been like when digital cameras were first like Coming affordable. Uh huh. And so I had a digital camera, and you were like, "Hey, what kind of camera is that?" And like mm-hmm. asked me about it. And so I remember thinking like, "Oh, are you into photography or?" Kind of I was. Pen. I yeah. was. Even at that point, I was like, you know, had my cameras that I was taking around and shooting photos with, you know. Um, and so that's probably why I asked you. I wasn't ever a great photographer, but yeah. I liked 
framing stuff and being behind it. And even though now I'm not the cinematographer, the way it works these days is you get to sit next to your cinematographer and see exactly what he's shooting. Yeah. And I'll be like, you know, oh wait, you know, bring the frame up a little more, make sure you get his hands in there, get this or that in there. So, so I do love and feel like I have a, a little um, um, knack for like, or I don't know, maybe I just have like an interest in it, you know, for sure. seeing what's going to be in that frame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just remember kind of after that interaction, when you've gotten involved in filmmaking, I always correlated those two things in my head. It was like, oh yeah, he asked me about the camera one time. Right. That's probably part of that. Yeah. It was, Kelly didn't ask me about the camera because <laughs> Kelly doesn't give a crap about filmmaking. True. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know how accurate that was. Or no, not, it was. But, I definitely was... You know, when I was traveling, I was trying to soak up these places we were going. Right. Even though it was kind of quick and fast. And sometimes we, back in the day, we had to wait for swells before the whole surf flying thing really kicked in. And we right. knew we could just go for it. So we would be in these places sometimes for longer stretches of time. And um, so I would bring cameras and shoot, you know. Yeah. I, not that I was amazing, but I enjoyed it. And um, still do have some really neat photos from a few trips I did. Very cool. Um, back to Patagonia, I'm curious about what your relationship like, it, mm -hmm. what your relationship is like with them. And yeah, in the past, uh, being a professional surfer was basically a pie that was cut into two segments, like contest surfer, free surfer. Right. And both of those things were, you know, your sponsors had expectations, either right. winning contests or getting exposure. Right. And I feel like, um, that's cut into a lot, that pie's cut into a lot of different segments now where uh -huh. even if you're a free surfer, there's an air guy or there's a big wave guy or there's a water, Mark Healy's the waterman, you know, right. so he does that. And then yep. there's just all these different ways to kind of make a living off of surfing as a surfer nowadays. Right, right. And um, I'm curious what Patagonia's expectations are for Keith Malloy. Do you have to Good make question. X number of films every year? Do you have to, like, what do you do? I don't know if I know the answer to that completely, but okay. yeah, I think it's evolving. You know, um, uh, Chris, Dan, and I all still surf a ton, and and will do some a surf trip here and there, or or sometimes we have breaks where we can do quite a few. But but no doubt, um, I'm also we're also doing lots of film work for them, and and I think they're they're happy with that you know like I said we've been working for them for a long time and I think they've gotten um, they kind of know what we're gonna do you know we've been there for over 10 years and done quite a few films between the three of us and so we kind of have have the film thing going but still can you know do a surf trip or just be an ambassador and you know kind of whether it's just somewhere we might do speak about something um, we still have um, that bit of our I guess just history that they're happy to be a part of and obviously we're like thrilled to be a part of Patagonia for so many obvious reasons um, so it's, it's still a little of both you know like mm -hmm. I guess surf ambassador would be the word but but um, as much or more doing films for Patagonia and, and you know so that's marketing as well I guess yeah you said you still 
surf a lot. What does what's your current surf schedule like? And yeah, it's it's just depends. But you know, sometimes it's taking my daughter surfing. Sometimes it's surfing good waves. Sometimes it's just riding an eleven foot board and going straight. Yeah. Sometimes it's going up to Alaska and doing a you know unreal surf trip. I mean, that's where I like to go, just to Canada and Alaska, because there's just no one there, and um, the waves can be really great. Um, and um, and then surfing locally, and um, you know, but I'm definitely not like jumping on the plane to catch the next swell right. these days, which I'm super happy to not be doing since I did it for so long. You um, you talk about riding an 11 foot board and going straight, mm-hmm. like. Talk to me about your personal transition from like high performance shortboard all the time to ride anything yeah. to then ride nothing, you know, right. with the body surf movie yeah. and all that. So, I mean, um, so when I really fell in love with body surfing is when I was in the middle of like my pro surfing career and actually went back when I was still doing contests. In a way, it was like such a disconnect to try to like perform to this criteria that that's when I started body surfing and just going oh my god this is why I started surfing and riding waves it's just because like the simplicity of it and not caring and just enjoying um so I think that was something that came uh, across my path early early on you know I forget how long ago that was but like definitely fell in love with body surfing and and like do, even doing some long distance distance paddling and things like that just because for me it was a little more about the experience in the ocean and um you know there was other guys that were like show up to the beach surf get back in their car and leave and um me and my brothers kind of grew up hanging at the beach all day and cooking food on the fire and you know doing a little three-pronged fishing and so so I missed that at one point um in the middle of the whole surf craziness and surf career and so always kind of um was happy to do anything in the ocean and not have it be judged or in criteria so much although i did enjoy competing like i had fun testing myself yeah and i had some great memories of doing well in contests and um i I wouldn't change that really i'm not one of those guys that i'm like i should have never surfed a contest i'm not like that i'm like It was fun, and I did well. And you know what? If I would have been winning everything, I probably would have kept doing it for longer. Sure. But it it also got to the point where I was like, ah, you know, it's just not. It's not why I started surfing is to compete. And if there's an opportunity for me to continue surfing and actually have some kind of career out of it, then I'll take that route. Well. I mean, even at myself, a guy who doesn't competitively surf, especially not on that level, like I get burned out. You know, I get burned out from riding a shortboard. Right. And so I think if you're smart, you kind of transition at some point in your life and open your mind and experience to right. riding different things. And it reminds you of why you started doing it in the first place. And it's a lot more childlike. And, yes. You it's know? pure pleasure. Yeah. And then it's fun to ride a shortboard and... And um, I think the writing of like a modern shortboard is good because it's like it takes a lot of effort and energy to make one of those things work. So I like to jump back on that. Yeah. But then when the waves are right and you're riding just a big old tanker and going straight, um, it's as good as anything, you know. It is. And there's so many ways to do it, and it's just it's just more. 
it's more entertaining and gratifying, I think, to change it up and just enjoy it in which whatever way seems to be the right way to do it that day. You you were on the Channel Islands program forever. Yes. What, what do you ride now, or whose boards are you riding now? And so I'm, I'm, I mainly ride Fletcher Chenard boards still, um, but I fiddle around with my friends these shade boards and... You know, I have a couple old Almerics that I pull out now and then too. Um, so, um, you know, I, I have a little freedom there, but I still ride a lot of Fletcher Chenard boards, you know. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And a little bit of everything in the quiver, obviously. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do, how much do you follow professional surfing at this point and competitive surfing? Yeah, that's interesting. So for a long time, I was like, because I did the, whatever, it's the WSL now, but I, you know got to that level for a little while and for a while I didn't want to watch it because I was too close with to it um, and at this point um, I'd love to turn it on when when I have time and when like there's an event and the waves are good I'll, I'll like get sucked in for a little while you know yeah. it's fun I mean you know like I've missed the I don't catch them all enough. you know I definitely miss them we're and missing like, it right now by the way right they're running bells today day See, one they're missing and I miss the the uh, let's see, I missed the first couple events probably because I was working on the film, so I'm not diehard at all, yeah. But it also is fun to flick it on, and when I can get my goddamn computer to work and actually see it, <laughs> it's fun. Um, download the WSL app, Can't I know I couldn't, I couldn't get it to download the other day. I'm like, god damn it, I wasn't made for this shit, but um, that's that's like I said, I'm a caveman. Who do you who do you like? Like, who do you like watching mm -hmm. nowadays? Um, so let's see. Um, I love watching Connor because he's a hometown boy. Although I haven't got to see him surf in the last few events because I haven't been watching close. So Connor Coffin's always a fun one. I like to see the underdog do well. Um, and then of course John John. Like John John was, you know, living a few doors down from us in Hawaii when we lived there for a long time. And him and his brothers would walk over to my house and wake me and my brothers up and ask us to take a, them surfing and I mean I, I, like they probably don't even remember it but I do and so um, such a sweet humble cool kid so John John's definitely one of my favorites um, and then I mean I could go down a few to a few other people like I don't know why Seabass has always been just a classic funny character that I like um, and then, you know, it's just interesting to see who's doing well um, with the Aussies. And I, I like rooting for Kelly and Parco, the old guys, you know, that are basically from my generation. I cannot believe they're still doing it. I know. It's so impressive. At, at the highest level, too. It's incredible. Um, so I vote, I, I root for those guys as well. Who, who do you, uh, outside of actually competitive surfing, mm -hmm. who gets you psyched? Hmm. I mean, Dane Reynolds is another hometown boy, yeah. and like I'm like always excited to see him still keeping keeping it up. Um, super nice guy, and watched him surfing when he was a little kid, and every day he'd be out there for hours on end. And so to see his whole story and kind of his challenges too um, has 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 been interesting. And I like you know still love his surfing. Yeah, um, me too. I'm definitely up for watching other styles of surfing besides just high performance you know like yeah i'll watch some joel tudor still is one of my favorites you know and uh guys like that as well i know like i'll drop whatever i'm doing like if dane reynolds releases an edit yeah i'll drop what i'm doing 
and watch it because I'm that yeah. curious to see what he's up to. Yeah. But I will say also more recently I've found um, through Instagram uh-huh. longboarders right. that it's like there's a kid nearby here, um, uh, Corey Colapinto, uh-huh. goofy foot longboard Oh, kid. I just saw a clip of him. It was it's, awesome. It's it was gnarly. Amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, and so he's always surfing Sano. It's always the same wave. It's kind of mushy, but like the way that he walks around on the longboard. Yeah. It's just incredible to watch. So I love that. Yeah. It's almost like I'm as psyched to watch that mm-hmm. as I am Dane Reynolds' yes. latest edit. Absolutely. You know? I feel the same. And, and I love going out on the log and trying to surf like those guys and see what I can pick up from watching something here and there. And that's what it does for me too. It's yeah. like, oh, I never thought about like doing a weird cross leg bottom turn. Like right. it's almost like a cross step, but he's like standing up bottom turning that so way. Cool. It's really cool. Yeah. I saw one of those clips recently. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, who, as a filmmaker, are there any stories or maybe profiles like individuals, stories that you'd like to tell? that I would like to tell. Mm-hmm. I was, I am working on a little piece um, on, so it's not a surf story, but there's this country music guy who's not pop country. He's like kind of an old school, old soul, but, and he's doing a, he doesn't out I got him kind of playing music with his mentor back in New Mexico. So that's like not surfing, but something that I was definitely interested in. Um, surfing wise. Is it, are you actually working on it? Yeah. Is, uh-huh. is it going to be now. a full length or? Um, it'll probably be 15 minutes. It'll be 15? Short. Yeah. And yeah. where will that live? I think it will be on the Yeti website. Because oh, okay. my brothers and I have been working for Yeti as well, which we love their product and and, uh, and um, admired, have admired their you know what? Do you know about them at all? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, cool. I don't know anything yeah. about them, but I know the product itself. Yeah. Do so, you have backstory about them? Or? Yeah. I mean, I'll, it was one of those products out there that me and my brother's like, oh, man, I want to get one of those things so bad. And then we ended up having a connection with Yeti and doing some little film work for them as well. And anyways, that all, that, that um, you know, I got the opportunity to do a music story with Yeti just recently and. um Oh, man, I love I love the musicians that were in it. So, so that's something fun and different for me as well. And as far as surfers go, gosh, I mean, um, there's so many interesting people out there. I mean, like John John, for example. Like, there's been incredible footage of John John, and um, but I think you could tell his story in a, in a way that no one's heard it before. You know, he'd totally. be a guy that I'd be interested in. I think surfers in general are just very interesting people it requires you to be nomadic it requires like maybe big wave surfers are even more interesting where it's like you got to be nuts and you have to be so dedicated you have to be physically fit you have to be nomadic you have to be able to drop everything and fly to portugal or whatever there's just a good chance they're going to be a bigger personality yeah exactly you know and it's like a lot of them don't get paid. Right. So I was, the big wave awards are happening in a week or two and I was looking at the guys' names and I'm like, I've never heard of any of these people. So right. like, so. That's a, that's a good opportunity. Um, we'll wrap this up real quick. Let me yeah. give you a closing question. Or Perfect. Two. Um, good questions though. It's thanks. Super good conversation. Yeah, thanks. The final question I always ask everybody involved is yes. just what was the last surfboard that you rode? I have this board that I've been riding 
that I found under my cousin's um, deck who passed away and it's like possibly the ugliest surfboard you've ever seen and it's like I think it's about eight foot long it has a huge it's kind of like a um, plastic fantastic style yeah. or era board yeah and um, I've only been riding it switch stance because it's really hard to ride backside hmm. and um, that's been the thing that I've really had fun with in the last six months and I don't even know it's like a mystery board I don't really? know the shaper but it's just brown someone like fixed the dings with like with like a boat resin and but it's got weight to it and it's got that round hole bottom and like you know, for me I can ride it switch stance and just lock into the pocket and I've just been having a blast on it amazing yeah radical <laughs> right on dude okay well, thanks so much thank you great yeah, interview glad great questions Clouds so swift the rain falling in Gonna see a movie called Gunga Den Pack up your money, pull up your tent and look when You ain't going nowhere Thank you, Keith Malloy, for taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, while you were touring this film and with your family and all of that. I really appreciate you taking the time to participate in this conversation. And... Um, tremendous amount of respect for Keith not only for his role in my kind of surf experience but also for the quality and level and commitment to surfing that he's had over the years and to ocean life and to now producing these films that really I cherish and love and appreciate and um, that the art form and the kind of commitment to storytelling I am hugely grateful for to have this kind of quality of film and um, I suppose I also Oh, Patagonia, thank you for investing in guys like the Malloy brothers. So that's that for today's episode of Wax On. I hope that you enjoyed it. You can look forward to many more episodes, not only of Wax On, but all of the Surf Splendor Network's series of shows, Caught Inside, Spit with Scott Bass, and of course, Shaping Surfing series that we've been doing since... Episode number two, I think it was, was our first uh, Shaper interview with Eric Arakawa. So that's been a part of Surf Splendor since the very beginning, and I look forward to um, continuing to bring those episodes. There's so many great surfboard shapers that we're yet to talk to. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is the website. You can find everything that Keith and I discussed, including video clips, photos of Keith shredding, photos of Keith's epic beard, all sorts of stuff. You can leave a comment as well for myself or for Keith on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, share this show with friends. That helps this show to grow. It's helped grown it to the level that it's at now. We couldn't have done it without you, so keep sharing it. I'll keep pumping out the content if you keep sharing it with friends. All right, it's enough talking. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode on the Surf Splendor Network. This is David Scales reminding you that until then, you should get back in the ocean, get a couple of waves, and shred on.